That's a, it's a funny story. When that whole debacle happened, I was on an aircraft going to Dubai. So I, I got on a plane at 7 a.m. And, and then I landed at 7 p.m. Dubai time. And it was just the world was very different in that time. Welcome to VC Evolve, conversations about the future of VC. Our guest today is Raed Masri, a partner at Transform VC. Raed is a founder and a VC. As a VC, Raed worked with Mubadala Ventures and Data Collective VC. As a founder, he founded and led Jaguar Wireless, SkySurf, eDay, and lately AI Explain. Raed also founded Cracking Silicon Valley, where he helped founders reach the VC community in Silicon Valley. Raed, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Ahmed. Raed, before we get into the topic of our podcast, I noticed on your LinkedIn that you always mention that you're an investor and a friend of the firm, and in some cases, friend of the firm, then investor. Why do you always mention that? Where did it come from? Well, I, I must admit, I learned that from uh, Matt Oko, one of the managing partners at DCVC. So he's, he's been someone I work closely with for a period of time. And I, I like that. The only difference I do is if I were friends with the founder before investing, I put friend, then investor. If I invested, then became friends. So it's my little addition to what I have seen done by other esteemed investors. I love that. And if you consider yourself a friend to the founder or the founding team, do you think you add more value? Do you think uh, the relationship is closer? How does the dynamic work between you and your portfolio company's founders? It means a variety of things. First of all, I'm grateful that I have the experience, the scar tissue and the reach to help founders in any way that I can. And most of the time, that's any way they want to be or need to be helped. Uh, what this means is uh, my uh, phone is right there. So I've received calls at midnight or past midnight to uh, deal with situations. And I've never told someone, don't call me at this time or don't text me at that time. If anything, I'm always ready to be helpful. And oftentimes we do get those midnight calls ahead of other investors because our willingness and ability to be there for the founders. Did you receive midnight calls when Silicon Valley Bank problem happened? <laughs> you know, that's a, it's a funny story. When that whole debacle happened, I was on an aircraft going to Dubai. So I, I got on a plane at 7 a.m. And, and then I landed at 7 p.m. Dubai time. And it was just the world was very different in that time. So it was very interesting. So if anyone call me, I'm sorry, I wasn't available. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's because I was in flight. Okay. Right. The description of Transform VC says infrastructure meets technology, impact a billion and make a billion. And then you say venture studio, VC investments and advisory. There's a lot here to unpack, but let me start with uh, impact a billion and make a billion. What do you mean by that? Sure, sure. Well, my entire life growing up as a founder, I've wanted to be impactful and influential. I've started uh, five startups in Canada, where I'm from, had three miserable failures and been lucky twice with two 20x outcomes. Uh, I'd like to think that I made my dent in the Canadian economy having helped introduce new wireless policy that produced new mobile operators, bringing affordable wireless to all Canadians, following that, bringing in-flight internet to Canada. So I learned that the maximum I can even dream to accomplish being an entrepreneur is make myself a billionaire. I couldn't have a bigger dream than that. However, as a venture capitalist, I've got the legitimate aspiration to identify, invest in, and nurture a thousand other founders who each could impact a billion and make a billion. Therefore, there's no other job in the world other than VC that affords me this aspiration. I say it, it's the job that affords me the maximum impact per unit time. 
And that's uh, exactly what we mean at, uh, by impact a billion, make a billion. So, and, and our goal is to invest in a thousand founders who will exemplify that. I love that message. And hopefully all of your companies will become unicorns and make a billion dollar, at least a billion dollar valuations. The second thing in that description that caught my attention is that you say there's a venture studio, venture arm or a VC fund and advisory. How does that work? Because usually what I see is people choose either venture studio or a venture fund. Mm -hmm. And I don't see many of those VC firms doing advisories or advisory services. Usually maybe they would invest in in one or two EIR, entrepreneurs and residents. But you're combining both models together. And on top of that, you have advisory. I would say that all VC firms are advisors by definition. What's maybe less common is the venture studio and the venture uh, fund simultaneously. That's because we're our operators and founders ourselves. So occasionally we're able to roll up our sleeves and become co-founders in the companies that we invest in, such as Explain, uh, which is a no-code development environment for AI, allowing domain experts to architect, build, and host, and deploy AI systems with zero AI expertise. But we always say uh, we don't have a monopoly in wisdom. And oftentimes we see opportunities that are are further along and would love to support the founders. And in which case we simply invest. In terms of advisory, like I said, every VC firm, even SoftBank, they're called SoftBank advisors, their fund was. So that's, I wouldn't say that's an uncommon thing. Since you mentioned AI, uh, you have experience with AI through AI Explain and other investments. And we're seeing AI is already replacing so many jobs. Do you think AI would replace our jobs as VCs or maybe complement our jobs? What do you think about that in the future? That's a a great question. Um, It depends on what time horizon you're referring to. But uh, for sure, AI is going to initially augment, eventually maybe substitute. The AI is is here to stay. I think Andreessen said AI is like air. I agree with him. It's here. So there's no going back now, and it's a matter of leveraging it and applying our values to AI so that it upholds these universal values uh, that we all believe in. Do you have any specific tasks in mind that you do on your daily job that would be, I don't know, enhanced by AI? Well, I mean, what does a VC do? Or like Robinhood, we take money from the rich, give it to the poor. (laughs) So, uh, you know, maybe an AI can start approaching LPs and and convincing them to invest their capital with us. Uh, And maybe AI can start sourcing and diligencing and adding value to opportunities and and portfolio companies. Uh, Some of these functions are broken down to even smaller functions, and and, and some of those are already being addressed with AI today. Of course, there's going to be that human touch that's always necessary, the white glove treatment, the, the red carpet treatment. So I think we'll, as humans, we'll, there will always be a place for us. Of course, unless at some point down the line, I'm like thinking really into the future now, the LPs have AI agents. So my AI agent will talk to their AI agent, and then my AI agent will talk to the founder's AI agent, and they, everything's done with AI. We're all just sitting down on the beach somewhere. Why not? That could happen. Yeah, for today, I think uh, a lot of VC firms or that data-driven VC firms, they use data, they use machine learning, not necessarily AI, but they are data-driven. Do you think that's helpful, at least for now? Absolutely. And one of our portfolio companies, Victara, they do neural search or neural uh, retrieval augmented generation. So they use neural LLM that they've developed to get relevant information from your data. And then they deploy ChatGPT to uh, offer responses. But these responses are free of hallucinations because 
it's drawing its answers from the data being generated or retrieved by the, the, the prior LLM. So this could be super useful for VCs like us to draw insights and to draw actionable events. Gaid, do you live in Silicon Valley or in the Bay Area? And you've helped people actually access more VCs in, in the Valley through cracking Silicon Valley. Do you think Silicon Valley is still the place to be? Are VCs still concentrated here? Are people back to office or not yet? Is everyone still remote? I'm going to give you a short answer and a slightly longer answer. The short answer is yes. I believe in the continued rise of Silicon Valley. Uh, the slightly longer answer is I am a veteran of what was once called Silicon Valley North, the nickname we gave the capital region of Canada, Ottawa. We had Nortel, the ninth largest company in the world at $400 billion market cap, I don't know, 20 plus years ago. Newbridge, Nortel, Corel, Mitel, Cognos, none of these companies exist today. So I learned the hard lesson that when the market correction happens, all these Silicon Valleys around the world contract or even disappear. But the real Silicon Valley remains standing and standing tall. And this is driven by a variety of reasons, most significant of which is the network effect. Silicon Valley learns a lesson by the time this lesson reaches elsewhere, New York or Canada or the Middle East or elsewhere. Well, Silicon Valley is on to lesson number 50 and so on. Uh, not to mention you've got two um, institutions, UC Berkeley and Stanford, that are continuously pumping uh, innovation into the ecosystem. And you've got this, literally, it is this ecosystem where people have seen magnificent outcomes and, and have stayed, unlike other places where usually when you have outsized outcomes, you find those entrepreneurs moving to warmer places like California from Canada or elsewhere. So for a variety of reasons, I believe Silicon Valley will continue to be the, the place. And our goal at Transform VC and Impact a Billion is while we believe Silicon Valley is the best place for a startup, it is really quite insular. So we're taking Silicon Valley on a roadshow to the inner cities of America to identify overlooked, underrepresented talent, bring the Silicon Valley rigor to them so that they could crack the Silicon Valley code in weeks instead of years on their own. Okay. Companies are taking longer to go public. Many companies are raising down rounds with drastically lower valuations. Interest rates are high. LPs are reconsidering their commitments to VC funds. Is there a worse time to be a VC or what? Well, the best time to invest is when the prices are low. So those who understand the asset class and understand the longevity of it and that it's a long-term asset class also understand that most of the profits or most of the, the markups and, and great realizations come to the tail end of the whole period, not the, the, the front end. And to that point, obviously, there's some tourist investors and other investors who appease much like VCs. I know one of my founders said this, and I like the analogy. He says a VC always is, has this toolbox of excuses to say no, because VCs have to say no a lot more than they say yes. So I'd say, it's, I'd say that's similarly the case with LPs. So sometimes the LPs want to say no, just they don't have a good reason other than no. I think uh, LPs who are serious about allocating are actively allocating. So this is not a bad time to be raising a VC fund if you have a good thesis, good track record, and are doing something interesting. That's a really good segue to my next question. You also advise LPs to deploy capital in VC funds, and you've evaluated money fund managers. How do you do that? What's your criteria when you evaluate managers? Sure. To a large extent, I've stopped doing that. I used to do that as part of Mobadla Ventures, and I was an advisor for a, a Kuwaiti-based institution. But it depends on them and what the institution is looking for. And back in the Mobadla Ventures days, we were looking for VC firms with a great track record uh, to make money. We're looking for VC firms with a great network so we could expand our network. 
We're looking for VC firms who have a lot of expertise that we can learn from. Those were our objectives. Other institutions might have other goals, and each institution is different. Now, this is the main question of my podcast, talking about the future of the VC model itself. So what do you think uh, of the current VC model? Any thoughts at all? Is it efficient? Is it broken? Any room for improvement? And how do you see the future of the VC model and the VC industry in general? Well, I see the VC industry today, or historically up until today, no different than a real estate agency. So it's a very manual, manually intensive kind of labor intensive operation, except that the outcomes, unlike a real estate agency, the outcomes could be really magnificent and follow closely the financial outcomes related with tech companies. So there is definitely room for efficiencies and enhanced efficiencies. AI and other IT systems could play a role. And I think to your earlier question, it's likely there will be enhanced productivity, particularly now that really the market's quite crowded. It used to be um, such a cool thing to be a VC back when I was younger. Now being a VC is just, oh, you're just another one. So it's interesting how the days have changed. Of course, having been an entrepreneur in Canada, I've had investors have the leverage over the entrepreneur. And now I feel that the balances have tilted a little bit. So the entrepreneurs, because of abundance, availability of capital and VCs, they have regained some of that leverage that was missing otherwise. And with all those new VCs in the market, how do you think they can compete? Or maybe how can they show more value and return higher returns? or stand out? There's a lot in that question, um, Ahmed. There's a lot in that question. Uh, Ultimately, as you know, VCs, they're frenemies, right? So so they're occasionally friends with each other. Other occasions, they're enemies. So it all depends on the stage, their check size, and so forth. We like to adopt the mentality of being friends with other VCs as much as possible. So rarely do we take on an entire round by ourselves. We like to co-invest with other investors who we look up to and can bring increased or unique value to the equation. And ultimately, uh, those VCs who follow the power law or understand the power law well also understand that in having and following that portfolio construction, they maximize the chances of hitting outlier outcomes and therefore returning capital to their LPs and then some. So just by doing the right things and playing the long game, I often told myself when I was first starting out Transform, I had a really tough time. I had to sell my home to keep this operation going. I just have to survive through this until one of my companies hit at home and then I'm home free. It's, it's one of those games where you just sometimes you need to uh, survive long enough until uh, you get lucky. People think uh, because you're a VC, you don't go through those tough times, but a VC firm is also a startup and you go out there and raise funds from LPs. And you have to survive. You have to have a runway. And I've seen many VCs this year laying off some of their team members. So it's, it affects everyone. And yes, you need to be what I usually call a VC-preneur. And you are a true VC-preneur. Thank you, Ahmed. Yeah, it's very kind of you to say that. So, Raed, what trends will we see in the future? Previously, it was AR, VR, blockchain, now AI. What's the next big thing and how can we see those new trends before they become big trends? Well, my crystal ball is just as good as yours. So let's start off with that. (laughs) That being said, uh, one of the key advantages we uh, believe we have is we try to keep a very open mind and expand our reach to the maximum possible. And Impact a Billion, this initiative and roadshow we've started is, is helping us play to that. 
by going to those communities that are otherwise underrepresented or overlooked. We're talking cities that literally have no ecosystem or very little ecosystem. The nice thing with such initiatives is you could identify the one big company that will emerge from there, but more likely than not, there, there will be one big company emerging from a small city somewhere in the middle of nowhere, as opposed to like 10. So by, have, by not having an office there, by visiting and, and building our brand there and building relationships with ecosystem partners there, then we maximize our chances of being uh, approached by such entrepreneurs. So two things. One, going out to the, to the, physically to the market, meeting entrepreneurs, that's one thing. Two is we like to do deep dives in sectors that are important. Uh, for example, affordability and housing, uh, affordable healthcare, areas that we believe really need to be addressed in the economy and in society. Because we're trying to invest in deep tech that has impact. So AI with impact, be it social or climate. So uh, that also gives us an interesting approach by identifying problems and then sending a broadcast to the world. Hey, who's working on in this area? And they say for every hundred prospects of anything, you have to sell anything at all. There's usually only three who are able and willing. How do you find those three? Well, there's the working hard ways. Talk to a hundred people. God knows we're doing enough of that or a lot of that. But there's also the working smart way. Send a media broadcast like this one to the world. And then hopefully we'll reach someone and that someone will just stand up and say, here I am. I love what you're doing and I'd love to talk to you. So it's a combination of hard work and smart work and everything in between. That's amazing. Is there anything you want to mention that I didn't ask you about? No, thank you so much for the opportunity. This has been wonderful and wish you all the best with this. 